is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, May 31st, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenker, working from back in Connecticut, and today we're going to have on Brandon Hyde, the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. And because we love superlatives, guys, today... I think we might have the two best storytellers in baseball, Tim Kirchin, Bob Kendrick. What do you think? It's uh, funny because they're both elite storytellers, but when you ask them, you know, how good they are, you know, try and give them sort of some sort of compliment, they're immediately going to defer. They're very humble gentlemen. Yeah, they both are so humble, but man, when you tell or when they tell a story, it's like, I mean, it's like you're there, basically. You're in every single moment, and it's so cool. Yeah, and they don't know going into today's interviews that they're being set up for this contest, this showdown of two master storytellers. Uh, We'll see who comes out on top. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, last night in Seattle, the Yankees, the Mariners, Anthony Volpe continues to have an impact as the Yankees' rookie shortstop. One, two. High fly ball, deep left field. It was Michael Kay on the Yes Network and Aaron Judge. Yep, he did it again. High fly ball, deep left field. Pull it back. He's on the track. He's at the wall. He leaps. See ya. A home run for Judge. Another one. He's done it again. 8-2. And the final score was 10-2 for Aaron Judge. That is home run number 18 on this season. Of course, the guy who leads the big leagues, another New York slugger, uh, Pete Alonso. That'll be an interesting uh, race as the summer plays out. The news was not all good for the Yankees. They place outfielder Harrison Bader on the 10-day injured list with a right hamstring injury. They did activate all-star catcher Jose Trevino. Craig Allen started in center field for the Yankees last night. The Diamondbacks continue to have a surprising season. They face the Rockies. In Arizona last night, Evan Longoria did some damage. And the pitch to Longoria is hit to center. He hit it a mile. Back of the warning track, back of the wall, and that is gone. A two-run homer for Evan Longoria. Two home runs in the inning and a 3 nothing Diamondback lead. He liked that pitch. That from 98.7 FM Arizona Sports. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Nobody can slow down the Texas Rangers, the leaders of the American League West. They faced the Tigers last night, and Josh Young went deep. Here it comes. Swing, and that one is hit high and deep to left field. Haas is back in the track. He turns, looks, out of here. A two-run home run for Josh Young, and the Rangers lead 9-6. to six. That from 105.3, the fan. Final score there, 10-6. to six. Uh, and adding injury to insult, the Detroit Tigers might have lost their best pitcher and their best hitter on Tuesday. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez went on the 15-day disabled list, injured list, because of a ruptured pulley in his left index finger. Uh, that's his pitching hand. I'll tell you that when I heard about pitchers having that injury in the past, boy, their absence is indefinite. And center fielder Riley Green came out of the game in the third inning with an apparent leg injury. The Dodgers face the Nationals in Dodger Stadium last night. J.D. Martinez, who's been red hot, separated the Dodgers in the bottom of the seventh. Now the 1-0. Fly ball to center field. Way back there. Thomas at the wall. He looks up and it is gone. A home run. J.D. Martinez continues to be red hot. A two-run blast, his 12th of the year. He's knocked in three tonight, and the Dodgers get some hefty insurance runs in the bottom of the seventh. They now lead 6-3. to three. On their way to a 9-3 victory, that was Charlie Steiner, AM570 LA Sports. The Baltimore Orioles signed outfielder Aaron Hicks on Tuesday, less than 24 hours after Cedric Mullins went down with a strained right groin. We're going to be talking in a few moments with Brandon Hyde, the manager of the Orioles, about the impact of the Mullins injury. They took on the Guardians last night, and they took control early. 3-2 to Santander. 
hit hard into right field. That's a fair ball. Mateo scores. Here comes Frazier. He'll score. Around third, Rutschman. He gets the green light. He will score. Santander head first into third with a triple. Three-run triple for Anthony Santander. And now it's a 6-0 Oriole lead. That from WBAL. Final score was 8-5. to five. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. With supplies and solutions for every industry, Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You know who got it done yesterday for the San Diego Padres? Free agent signing Xander Bogarts. You know, the Padres have been a disappointment this year. It was 4-all, top of the ninth inning. Bogarts came to the plate with runners on base. Here's the 0-2. Soto runs. Bogarts bounces one up the middle. Into center field and a base hit. Fernando will score. And the Padres, for the first time tonight, take the lead. It's 5-4. What do you know? Another knock with runners in score position. That from 97.3, the fan. By the way, we got word on Tuesday that the Diamond Sports Group has decided not to pay the San Diego Padres their latest right fees, a monumental development that will revert the team's broadcasting rights to Major League Baseball and establish precedent for uncertain, rapidly evolving landscape. Yeah, we talked earlier this spring about how all of these potential bankruptcies for for the RSNs in Major League Baseball will eventually lead to Major League Baseball having control of a core of the teams in their broadcast situations. Baseball can be really, really weird. We know the Tampa Bay Rays have been the best team in the sport so far this year. They lost to the Cubs uh, on Monday, and then on Tuesday in Chicago, they lost again in Chicago. Michael Tauchman having a big hit. McClanahan's 98th pitch of the game. Looped into shallow left field. That's going to be a base hit. Coming to the score is Ian Happ. Cubs lead 2-1. Mike Tuckman delivers again. From the Cubs radio network, this was after the Rays' defense let a pop fly drop for Ian Happ to take second base. Yeah, so the Cubs have beaten the Rays two straight days. The Oakland Athletics, arguably the worst team in baseball history, were facing the Braves, who they beat on Monday. And guess what? They did it again in walk-off style. Here it is. And it's a ground ball toward third. Riley has got it, bobbles it, picks it up, throws to the plate, and too late. And the A's have won it. Seth Brown scores from third. There's not going to be a challenge. And the A's win it 2-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth. That from A's cast. Yeah, Oakland's beat Atlanta, arguably the best team in the National League. Two straight days. The White Sox, the Angels, Shohei Otani, got it done in the top of the fourth. Phil Nevin was asked today, going, hey, any thoughts of giving Shohei a day off? Here's the swing at that one, and this ball is clobbered deep into center field, and his bat was hot on that one. It's gone. And tonight on this Tuesday in Chicago, it's showtime. That was Terry Smith, Angels Radio, AM 830. But you know what? The White Sox, we said last week, going to win the division. They came back. Here we go. Vaughn lines one out in the left center. It's deep, and it's at the wall. Robert scores. Here comes Eloy. Moncada's in. White Sox lead. Bases clearing double. Andrew Vaughn. That was Len Casper, ESPN 1000. Final score there, 7-3 White Sox. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I have a peek behind the uh, curtain here. Before we recorded our Tim Kirkshin interview, and before you came on, I told him about Hot Take Buster and your Hot White Sox take, and he did that thing where he looks over his glasses and goes, hmm, and just kind of moves <laughs> on, so... <laughs> There's that. Uh, also, the low post with Zach Lowe. Uh, he did an episode yesterday morning with uh, Kevin Pelton. And then the Hoop Collective, uh, that was Brian Windhorst, Tim Bontemps, and Tim McMahon, all sort of reacting to the same thing. Uh, NBA Finals, the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. Nick Nurse hired as the 76ers head coach. And also, uh, we did an episode of SV Pod last night where they preview the NBA Finals as well. So you can check all of those out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? 
Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson, of course, covers baseball for ESPN. He's known to some people as TK, apparently. Tim, how you doing? Oh, okay. Only a few people call me TK, but... <laughs> One of them, I'm guessing... Happens to be an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves. The other day I walk up to Kevin Pillar and I told him, I said, you know, I'm thinking about doing a contest to determine who's the biggest baseball fan among baseball players. And he would be in that conversation. And, uh, and the first thing he did to him is he looked at me, he goes, would it involve trivia? Like he was all excited. And then he transitioned from that into saying, you know, it's it's been a good time. The other, uh, you know, he, he mentioned a, a time recently. He said, you know, TK was here. And I was like, that can only be one person. I'm pretty sure he's referring to you. A conversation he had with you this spring. Is that right? It was a conversation we had the other day. It was great. I, wa- I was walking through out to the field. There's the indoor batting cage in Atlanta. And there's Chipper Jones and Kevin Pillar. And even though I should have been talking to other people, I spoke to those two guys for about a half an hour. And Kevin Pillar asked me, who's your Mount Rushmore of third baseman? Like no one, no player in uniform ever asked the question like that. And it's in part because Chipper was standing there. And then he asked me, who's your Mount Rushmore of switch hitters? And we went back and forth. This This was amazing to me that he would care enough to even ask that question. And then we had this wonderful three-way conversation between Kevin Pillar, Chipper Jones, and myself. And again, Buster, to find a player who has an interest in the history of the game and lists and trivia and stuff like that was just unbelievable. So I can't even begin to tell you how much I enjoyed that conversation with those three guys. I didn't accomplish anything else. I'm supposed to be doing reconnaissance for the Phillies and the Braves. And instead I'm talking about Chipper Jones's career, which didn't do me any good in the, in the doing of a radio game, but it sure was fun because Chipper of course is the best at thing. He, he can talk about anything baseball wise, but Kevin Pillar was very, very impressive with his knowledge of switch hitters, third baseman, everything else, and totally intrigued by everything we talked about. Yeah, I'm going to say, like, if Carl Ravitch referred to you as TK, like, I would get it, you know? Uh, Kevin, you know, Kevin Connors, if he did that, or Adnan Burke, if he referred to you as TK. But for a player to refer to you by a moniker, I was like, wow, you must be on the Mount Rushmore of sports writers uh, at some point, I think we have to bring him in for like a baggage claim Monday. Like get Kevin on and have sort of a running debate because he seemed totally into it. Yeah, well, 
Walt Weiss of the uh, Braves, a coach with the Braves, also calls me TK. He's the only person that has ever referred to me in uniform as TK's. Called me that for 20 years. So whatever it took, I don't know. I'll, I'll go by TK. I don't care. Just talk to me and make me you know, let me learn something. No, there are at least two people in uniform who refer to you as TK. One is Walt Weiss, and the other one was Kevin Pillar on right. Sunday. Right. I was like, wow, okay. Tim's in the club, that's for sure. You know, <laughs> that, that was really fun and funny. He never referred to your whole name. Like TK, like, we, you know, I knew exactly who he was talking about. All right. Uh, explain to me. You covered baseball for a long time. The last two days – the team with the best record in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays, lost to the Chicago Cubs, scored what? One run in two days. And then on the other side of the country, you had the uh, Atlanta Braves, maybe the best team in the National League. I think the best team in the National League lost twice to maybe the worst team in the history of baseball. Please explain. Uh, Buster, it's the explanation, it's a cliche, but it's the beauty of baseball. It makes absolutely no sense, and it has made absolutely no sense this year, especially in the National League. When you look at the struggles of the Phillies and the Mets and the Cardinals and the Padres, and yet the Pirates were in first place, it's just it's just why the game is so good. I've said it a million times. No bad team ever went into Chicago Stadium and beat Michael Jordan's Bulls. But good bad teams beat good teams all the time in this sport. The good teams aren't good every single day. And in this case, the A's, I just said last night, I don't know if they're going to win 40 games this year. I finally came around to that. And then they won two in a row against the Braves. This is why baseball. Baseball is the best game. And here I've been bragging all year, saying all year that the Rays offense is demonstrably better than it was last year. Lead the league in runs scored, lead the league in home runs, lead the league in stolen bases. Then they go into Chicago and score one run in two games. This is why we cover the sport, Buster, because just when we think we understand how it operates, we're wrong again. And I don't mind being wrong. It just proves again how beautiful this sport is. And the Braves only run accounted for by your man, KP, uh, with a home run. Okay. <laughs> All right. So when they asked me to do Sports Center today, and the question they talked about, what's the biggest storyline for the rest of the year? And I do think I went back and forth. I think in the end, uh, it's going to be Shohei Otani and where he lands with his next team. But I also see, like, off in the distance on the horizon, this monumental battle for American League MVP, Tim. Because Aaron Judge is, is good or better than he was last year. He's putting together this amazing start, despite the fact that he was on the injured list for a period of time. And Shohei Otani is ridiculous. And so I've kind of, in my mind, settled on this. The most valuable player in baseball, without a doubt, is Otani because he's a two-way player. But the player most valuable to his team right now, dang, is Aaron Judge. Yeah, and again, that's why he won the MVP so easily last year is because it was obvious what that team was like when he didn't play and how important he was. Buster, they wouldn't have made the playoffs last year without Aaron Judge. And then look they at what would have had the greatest collapse in history. Right. And look at what happened to them when he went out of the lineup this year. Granted, uh, Stanton was out. Donaldson was out. The whole team seemed to be out. But that was a terrible Yankees team for about three weeks or two weeks while Judge was out. And now he comes back and he's the best player in best everyday player in the league right now, position player, not counting Otani, and he's carried them back into a contending status. That's how I look at the MVP. Take the guy out of the lineup and tell me what the team looks like. It's a completely different team when Judge doesn't play. And SVP asked me last night, am I surprised that Judge is having as good, if not a better year than last year? And Buster, I'm not surprised. He crossed a different threshold last year. 
He became a more complete player, put the ball in play, hit over 300, and played better defense than ever and ran the bases. He is a different hitter now than he was five years ago. And I think, I'm not saying he's going to hit 62 homers again. I'm telling you, he looks like the same hitter from last year, and that was a historically good season that he had. Do you know what award you are uh, will be uh, voting on this year for the baseball writers? No, I don't get that assignment normally until mid-season, and so I won't know, but I'm always keeping my eyes open for this, but you're right. It's going to be a great MVP race again, and again, Buster, this is why we, we can't make up our minds before the season starts who the MVP is. You can't say, well, if Otani does this again, he has to be the MVP. No, he doesn't have to be. We have to gauge other factors like the factor last year of how much judge meant to his team. So last year, the Yankees were winning at a, a record setting pace uh, for a lot of the season. And then in the last two months, they were destroyed by injuries. Uh, they wound up losing in the postseason, uh, and, and, you know, the great hopes of early in the year disappear this year. They get a ton of injuries early. And it's interesting because what I'm hearing from folks within the Yankees organization is, you know what? When we put this all together, now that we got Volpe and Sold at shortstop, now that we built this great bullpen, some of the guys in the rotation putting it together, Garrett Cole certainly now has reestablished himself as one of the top five pitchers in baseball. Their feeling is, hey, watch out for us as we go forward. What do you hear? I agree. I agree. The lowest bullpen ERA in the American League is not that of the Twins or the Astros. It's the Yankees. That's how good their bullpen has been. Luis Severino came back the other day and threw 99 miles an hour in his first start of the season. They're starting to score runs, and Volpe gives them, as we've talked about all year, Buster, a different offensive dynamic. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark. He can run. He gets on base. He is a different looking shortstop, certainly than what they had last year. Now I'm still not sold that they're a great team, but they can be really dangerous if Carlos Rodon comes back and is a really useful pitcher when he does. So watch out for the Yankees judge, and they're going to get Stanton back shortly. Uh, they're a different looking team than they were last year. Based on what you've seen the first two months in the American League East, we know that at least one of the teams is not going to make the playoffs. Probably two will not make the playoffs. Right now, who would you say are the two teams who are not going to make the playoffs in that division? Uh, the Yankees and Rays are making the playoffs. Can't believe I'm going to say this. If you're asking me who is the third team, the Orioles are the third team in the division, Buster. I've seen them three times in the last you know, two weeks. They they are young. They are hungry. They are athletic. And Brandon Hyde, I talked to him like a week into the season, and I said, team's good. And he went, team is talented. He was trying to tell me there's a difference between talent and being really good. Well, I'm telling you that he has helped turn that talent into a real team Guys who play together, it sounds corny, but my goodness, they can score runs. That bullpen is ridiculous, especially the last two guys. Their starting pitching is better than we thought. Kyle Gibson has been very good, and they got more people on the way. So I would say, if I had to bet at the moment, I would say the Rays, Yankees, and Orioles make the playoffs, and I can't believe I'm leaving the Blue Jays out because I still think there's a chance that four of those teams make the playoffs. Yeah, and this has been noted to me by, by other executives that for years we talked as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was coming up and we talk, saw, talked about his potential. We saw the year in which he vied with Otani for MVP and he got Bo Bichette seemingly as one uh, manager told me, you know, he stopped chasing pitches out of the zone. He's more comfortable. He's probably going to wind up like 220 hits this season. Uh, the pitching staff, you know, they have a lot of elements of that staff that are pretty good. And yet uh, other executives are saying, like, look, they're halfway through their window of winning and they really haven't done that much winning yet. Yeah, it's weird. And the Alec Manoa slump is really confusing. That guy was tremendous last year, a strike throwing machine. And he's been anything but that this year. I'm sure he's going to get it turned around because he's a smart kid with a great arm. But yeah, the Blue Jays need to 
to need some work done here because there are certain days with that lineup, which is just filled with great players, doesn't score a lot of runs. So I expect them to get hot. I expect the AL East to be a tremendous division all year, and I can't wait to see how it turns out. So you didn't know this coming to the podcast today, but you're part of a uh, a contest. Who tells the best story? And it's between you and Bob Kendrick, who's going to follow you here in a little <laughs> bit. And I say, you got, you both hold the same skill. I can just throw out a name without giving you a heads up, and I haven't given you a heads up today. Throw out a name and say, tell me what you got on this person. So I'm going to throw you a softball and say, tell me what you got, a favorite story of Cal Ripken. Um, well, there's so many of them, but I'll, I'll quickly tell you the story that I led with in Sports Illustrated. Back at the Metrodome, <laughs> the Metrodome used to have a stairway that went from the field up to the clubhouse level. And it was like eight steps, big landing, eight steps, big landing, eight steps. Okay. So Ripken, being the lunatic competitor that he was, invented this game to see how many strides it would take to get up the steps from the field after infield. So he, of course, was the record holder. He could make it to the top in five strides. And he, of course, it it only matters that he's the champion of this stupid made-up game. Well, Rene Gonzalez makes it in five strides once, and now Ripken is only the co-champion of this ridiculous game that he invented. So that wasn't good enough. So he went back down to the field after seeing that Gonzalez made it in five strides, and he went up and he made it in four strides. And the world was good again because he got to the top in four strides not five. That's who Cal Ripken is. I could tell you a hundred similar stories about his competitive nature away from baseball, not to mention when he's actually playing baseball. Uh, all right. I'm going to let you be part of this contest uh, in, in terms of uh, handing off the baton. Who would you love to hear a story from Bob Kendrick about? Cause that's the person I'll ask about when he comes on. Well, <laughs> I I never met, obviously, Satchel Paige, and he's the greatest Negro League player ever. And he's I would love to hear more Satchel Paige stories. And I want I don't want them to be apocryphal. I want to know exactly how great he was. I want to know exactly how hard he threw, because I know he pitched in the big leagues at an advanced age and got people out with relative ease. So I don't think we can learn too much about Satchel Paige. Tell Bob Kendrick to give the best Satchel Paige story he has, one that we all haven't heard yet. That's what I want to hear. All right, TK, thanks for doing it. (laughs) TK, I can't believe someone called me that. That is so unusual. All right, Buster, I'm not even going to use your initials because that would be bad. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Thank you very much for that. (laughs) All right. I'll see you guys soon. Brandon High is the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Buster. Thanks for having me on. All right. So the first time I got to meet you uh, was at Wrigley Field. I remember standing out on the field uh, before a game, hours before a game, and you're out there on the field with your son, Colton. And it was always fun for me. Every year, he's getting a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and you guys are getting a little bit further apart in terms of throwing balls. You know, I've had this conversation with Eduardo Perez and Aaron Boone and these guys who grew up on baseball fields uh, about, you know, having that experience. So tell me what that's been like for you. Wow. Um, It's meant the world to me and my family, honestly, and him. Um, That was such a special time because those were those were Cubs years and a lot of fun years um, winning teams. Um, but we started doing, you know, he started coming to the clubhouse and spring training with me in 2014. He would have been about six-ish. And at that time, it was Ricky Renteria was the manager, and Ricky loved having him around. And um, and then Joe came in 15, and Joe wanted him around. And, and uh, he was kind of a part of the team. You know, he grew up with Bobby Baez and Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Jorge Soler playing video games together. Um, just a real special time with an amazing group of guys. And then we had some veterans that had 
kids right around that age also. Um, Rossi's kids were right around Colton's age. Miguel Montero had kids. Ben Zobris' son was the same age as Colton. Uh, it was there was a lot of kids around and really really fun teams a lot, a lot of winning teams, but spe- a special time to spend it with your son and what better place at Wrigley Field during those years, um, you know I, I was I, I know he'll appreciate it so much later, uh, but now he's you know as he gets older it's a little bit harder to do because travel baseball and all this stuff. Um, right now he's in Florida I'm in Baltimore but we're gonna spend a lot of time this summer and I can't wait to have him up here. I was going to ask you, will you guys do that at Camden Yards sometime this summer? Do the same thing, go out on the field, play catch? We do. We definitely do. And then he'll throw like bullpens with our, with our pitching guys. Uh, I, can't, I can't throw in the outfield to him and try, have him try to go deep into the bleachers anymore. I need an L screen in front of me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, stopped, that stopped when he was around 9 or 10. But uh, definitely like, sometimes he'll take batting practice with the team. He'll travel with us a little bit. Uh, I, I think it's fun to have. I think the players love it, honestly, when there's, you know, I, just right now, James McCann's got his two boys in the clubhouse, um, twin boys, and they're fantastic. And Gibson's got his kids around here a little bit. And, uh, I think I think it's a great perspective for players, honestly, to to have, see the youthful youthfulness and, and uh, to have, you know, father-son time. I think it's really important. So about two weeks ago, I had a conversation with Max Scherzer, who's got, you know, I think four kids now, and asked him about the whole question. Is he, you know, going to work in baseball or is he going to stay at home and coach and that? And you work in, in baseball, which means that you are on the road a lot. So how important is that time for you as a father? I mean, having that, you know, those hours at Wrigley Field, you know, having the hours this summer at Camden Yards. That, yeah, that was, that is important. And at that time we lived in Chicago. So and Chicago with the day games, I mean, it was as normal of a life as you can have in this crazy business that we're in because of uh, sometimes I got to see him play the last few innings of games um, in the evenings because we would have day games on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. But sometimes it work out, sometimes not. But uh, right now we're, we're apart. Um, they, he just got out of school. Him and my, my, my daughter is 13. They just got out of school a couple of days ago. Um, and you want to try to spend as much time as you can. That's why I think the off season is so important <laughs> and try to be there as much as possible. Try to take the kids to school, pick them up, be at all their activities. Uh, people ask if my off seasons are relaxing. It's the opposite <laughs> because you're, you're trying to fit so much into the, the, the six to seven months that you miss. Um, but I try to bring him with me to spring training every day that I can. I try to spend as much time with my can during the summers and, uh, you know, it's it's hard to do, but uh, we try to balance it as well as we possibly can. All right. You guys were uh, surprised last year. You exceeded expectations. To some degree, you're exceeding expectations this year. But what's different between what you all felt in 2022 versus what you feel in 2023? You know, I thought second half, we just we, we got a lot more confidence. And um, we started beating some good teams, started winning quite a few series. Uh, we rolled a 10-game winning streak. Uh, I think that really gave us a ton of confidence. Um, we had we had some veteran guys with some edge, and for me, that was that uh, that didn't want to lose and didn't like to lose and weren't used to losing. Also, and I think that was really helpful in our clubhouse. Honestly, um, with Ruggie Odor and Robbie Chirinos and Jordan Lyles, these three guys for me cha- helped really cha- help change the culture of our clubhouse. And it just, you would speak up in meetings, the, you know, advanced meetings. Um, they would be irritated when we lose. And that wasn't that our guys weren't before. Our guys just hadn't won before. The other guys, the core guys, the Santanders, the Mullins, the Hayes, Mountcastles. Um, and then you add Adley Rutschman, obviously, a supreme talent in this game. and going to be a superstar if he's not already. Um, a really, really good player on both sides of the ball and somebody that's going to take a major league, big-time major league at bat and control the pitching staff the way he did and does, um, it kind of just all fell into place. And I think our guys just got confident. Um, you do that when you win and you win series. And, uh, I haven't noticed any difference this year, honestly, for me, it's the same level headed mentality. We've come to the park expecting to win. I think our, um, our pitching staff has allowed us to do that and that, uh, we're, we're fun to watch and, uh, we're in almost every game. Every game is close. It seems like, um, but I think it's just that confidence from last year is just just carried into this year. So I've heard from Jim Palmer. I've heard from Ben McDonald. They, they talk about Adley's 
uh, pitch to pitch energy, mm-hmm. not only hitting in a controlling the strike zone at the plate, but also as a catcher, which you know better than I do how unusual that is. Can you describe that sort of living that and the impact of that over the course of, uh, you know, 162 games? Well, it's, uh, you know, obviously I get asked a lot about him. The, the way I can explain it the most, the best would be that he takes everything personal. So uh, it matters to him what's happening, what's, what's going on with the guy on the mound. Um, and so that's why I think you see that after inning kind of wait for him to walk off. Uh, that's super genuine and it's nothing fake about it because when I make a pitching change or after a game, let's say we don't pitch well, it's uh, he takes it personal and it's, and it's uh, this unique drive that he has to have, to have everybody around him be really good. Um, if he's involved, which he's involved with the pitchers, he wants them to have success. And so he's going to do everything he can. So I think that's where you see that energy from a pitch to pitch standpoint, every pitch matters to him. And, uh, what a awesome, you know, so I'm so lucky, honestly, to have, have that, um, for, and this is not, you know, it's not on a Friday night when there's 35,000, it's like every day, every day he's like that. And, uh, it's such a, it's such a great trait. And so to have that, and then to be as talented, he is also, um, couldn't happen, you know, I couldn't ask for anything more. So along those lines, I had a great conversation with him in spring training. What jumped out at me is how, because a lot of players say, hey, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but they're not really open to feedback. He seems completely open to feedback to the point where, you know, after a pitcher comes in in a half inning in the middle of a start, he essentially seems to be asking, what what different do you need from me? Yeah, we have a great we have a great relationship going on in the dugout in between innings. So we have a, we have our game planning coach that's in there, uh, Ryan Klemick. And, and uh, that really started last year with, it's almost like an inning review and then, okay, what are we going to, how are we going to go about this next inning? And Adley uh, loves that, uh, very involved in that. Uh, you know, pitchers have different personalities. Some, some guys want more, some guys want less. But uh, I think we have uh, a great, great formula right now with um, great communication in the dugout of, of how we're going to go attack the other team and how um, and Adley, you know, takes that very, very um, seriously. And, and um, Brian, you know, I'm sorry, James McCann does also. Uh, Robbie did last year. Torinos did last year. And these guys, these guys, it matters to them uh, how we pitch. Uh, a few quick hitters before you go. Cano has joined your team. is unbelievable. First thing that jumps out to me, of course, is 30 strikeouts in one walk, which seems so unusual for a guy that big, given the fact that it feels like, you know, it, a lot of pitchers that big, again, you know better than I do, it's like they're giraffes and they're trying to figure out their bodies a little bit. But from your perspective, what are you seeing in him this year? I think that. I think it, you talked to him and Batista that way. Um, two guys that had, you know, obviously have huge stuff throughout their lives and just had a tough time harnessing it. Um, and then something clicks where they were able to repeat their delivery with confidence, uh, understanding that their stuff really plays when they throw it over the plate and just working hard to have the ability to do that consistently. And when we saw Cano last year uh, at the end of the season, following the Lopez, the Lopez trade, it, obviously you see 97 with huge sink and but is this guy is this you know that's not that uncommon we see that a lot it's it's can you it's can you uh trust it on the plate and then he also has a change up too that's like a split finger that's 91 that's almost the exact same plane as this fastball so it's like two different fastballs practically uh, and it's just hard to gauge for a hitter somewhere along the line in spring training he just got a ton of confidence at the end of spring and it was noticeably different the last few appearances of spring training. Well, let's go see what it looks like in Norfolk for a few appearances. He's lights out there. Also, we're going to play White Sox, a heavy right-handed hitting team, Robert, Eloy, um, you know, Andrew Vaughn, these guys. Uh, we kind of needed a right-on-right guy for that series, and we took a flyer, and let's see what Cano can do, and he has been doing what he's <laughs> – he's walked one, and, and like you said, in, uh, in a ton of innings. So uh, really happy with, with him. I'm so – proud of him he's just a great great guy great story um and batista 10 years in the minor leagues um gets a shot last year and do what he's doing is it's awesome 
the loss of Cedric Mullins. Uh, tell me how you guys deal with that. How big of a deal is that for you? Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, he's a huge, huge part of our team. Uh, he's playing gold glove defense. He's having, he's having a great, great season. I just said the other day to the media, he's just, this guy, he's just, uh, he's just playing great baseball right now. He's playing gold glove defense. He's, he's our best hitter with runners in scoring position. He's hitting almost 500 with runners in scoring position in the season. Um, and then he's got the power to hit, to take you deep. He's going to steal you a base. Um, he's a catalyst for us. So, that's obviously a huge, a huge blow. Um, we're hoping that it's not too long. I think that Sed felt after the game that that he, you know, he caught it in time, so, so it's not going to be uh, too bad. So we're hoping it's just a couple weeks. But we have, we're, we have a talented team also, and we have a talented organization that we're going to go out and um, have upper level depth, and that's what you need in this game. And we've been pretty fortunate too. We've been pretty healthy. Uh, so these things are going to happen throughout the season, and. You know, that's, that's what, why depth is important and good teams can pick up when guys get broken down for a little bit, and we just need to do that. Last one for you. We saw last night Aaron Judge, two home runs. This, uh, you know, takes a home run away. Aaron Boone said it was one of the most remarkable nights from an athlete that he's ever seen. From your perspective, managing against Aaron Judge, tell me how he affects decisions. <laughs> for those for those who didn't see we're on Zoom and Brandon just stuck out his tongue like oh my god. Uh tell me what that's like in terms of affecting your decisions as his spots coming up in the lineup. Well, you know when it's coming up and it feels like when you're playing the Yankees he's going to come up six times and you can guarantee that he's coming up in the ninth with the, either the tying run on or as being the winning run. It's it's almost a lock. Uh, and we kid about it before the game, and it happens almost every night we play the Yankees. So, how do you go about it? You know, when you have Batista and Canoes and guys like that, I think that, you know, like Batista hung a split to a O2 split. Um, you're going to make, you know, you just hope your guys aren't going to make mistakes. I think a big factor, too, is that you know, one of my good friends, Anthony Rizzo, is hitting behind him. And when you're playing in Yankee Stadium or Camden Yards and it's 309 down the right field line and you see Riz on top of the plate and know that he could hit a ball off his hands out of the park, that's a scary, that's a scary thought also. Um, so I think they did a great job, honestly, in protecting. And, and Riz is off to a great start this year. But you don't want Judge to beat you, obviously. Um, this is once-in-a-lifetime talent. Uh, we, saw what he, we saw what he did last year. He hurt us many times last year as well. Uh, you just try to make pitches the best of your ability. Um, you hopefully try to stay out of the middle of the plate, uh, and you are careful. Then you sometimes you make a, the ball leaks in the middle. Sometimes you hang a split. Um, sometimes you have to tip your hat. So he's very very tough. He's a very he's a huge challenge, and uh, I'm glad that we have a balanced schedule for other teams to find that out also. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash buster just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash buster terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. Bob, how you doing today? Buster, man, I'm good. It's great to see you as always. Great to see you too. As I told you before we got started, you have unknowingly dropped into uh, the absolute epicenter of a major competition going on the podcast today, and that is who is the master storyteller in baseball. There's a number one, there's a number two. It's you and Tim Kirchin. And Tim was on just a little while ago, and I told him, I said, that the, the, the skill that you guys have, this amazing ability is that without getting a heads up, if someone gives you a name of someone and says, tell me about this person in baseball, you can just go. And Tim <laughs> also has that ability. So we're, and we're trying to determine like who's on the Mount Rushmore of storytelling. You know, you and Tim are definitely in that group. The question is whether or not you're in Jefferson spot. Are you in, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln spot? So we'll have to figure that out. Uh, and I, I threw a name at him. Uh, you know, again, I didn't give him any heads up at all. And I said, I tell you what, you tell me the name to throw at Bob when he comes on the podcast of a player. And he said, Satchel Page. I want to hear a Satchel Page story. He said, but I don't want to hear an apocryphal story. I want to hear something that tells us just how great this guy was. So, Bob, the floor is yours. Man, I tell you, that Buster, there's so many of those stories that are indicative of how great he was. One of my favorites, the year is 1934. And the Denver Post Tournament becomes the first organized baseball tournament to integrate. And so a team called the House of David. And the House of David was an all-white religious sect based out of Benton Harbor, Michigan. They were characterized by their very long hair and very long whiskers. Well, they're mimicking David from the Bible. And so they would use baseball to spread their gospel. And they play a great role in black baseball because they would barnstorm with and against Negro League teams all the time, most notably the Kansas City Monarchs. So in 34, the Denver Post Tournament integrates and the House of David decided that they are going to recruit the legendary Leroy Satchel Page to pitch for them. Now, legend has it that Satchel wanting to look like his white teammates. And I tell people all the time, you can't make this stuff up. It's too good. Satchel wanting to look like his white teammates, put on a wig and a fake red beard, and would then proceed to strike out 51 hitters in three games. The House of David would win the $7,500 prize money, and Buster, you can rest assured that old Satchel got a large percentage of that $7,500 payday. It is so indicative of the showmanship of Satchel, but also the tremendous talent of who I believe is the greatest pitcher of all time, the legendary Leroy Satchel Page. Boy, you delivered. <laughs> you delivered. That is a great story. I love that. Uh, so I, I, I remember a few weeks ago, I reached out after seeing your tweet about this new 30,000-foot uh, 30, square uh, or 30,000 square foot facility that you are building. Tell us yes. about that. Man, it's such an exciting next step for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Because Buster, you have to remember, we started this museum in a little one room office in 1990. I mean, maybe a fraction of the size of where we're both sitting. And it had some pictures on the wall, a few boxes with some artifacts, and guys like Buck O'Neill and other former Negro Leaguers who were still with us at that time, they literally took turns paying the monthly rent to keep that little office open. We built our current home in 1997. And now we are preparing to build what I call an international headquarters for black baseball and social history with the announcement of our plans to build a new Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, as you mentioned, 30,000 square feet of space. So three times the, the space that we have in our current home. But what's so cool about this project, Buster, is that it is going to be anchored with the Paseo YMCA. And the Paseo YMCA is significant. I think it's the most, I think the most significant Negro Leagues artifact in existence. That's the building that the Negro Leagues were established in on February 13, 1920. So we've been saving that old historic landmark 
That is going to house the Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center. We're building a new museum adjacent to it. So we're talking about 70,000 plus square feet of space dedicated to Black baseball history. And we believe that it is going to change the landscape of historic 18th and Vine, where we've been anchored for the last 33 plus years. And again, as I mentioned, create this international headquarters for both black baseball and social history. So we're really excited about this next big step. And again, when you go from a one room office to now dreaming out loud about this magnificent facility that will just allow us to continue to grow the interest and obviously preserve this precious piece of baseball and, and Americana. Can you detail some of the support you've already gotten and, and uh, tell us how people can, can help out? Absolutely. And, and, and let me preface that by saying I have never been congratulated so much for having to have to go out and raise $25, $30 million. People have been calling me, oh, man, <laughs> congratulations, congratulations. I'm like, congratulations, this might be condolences. We got some work to do. But no, <laughs> when we made the announcement a few weeks ago, our partner, Bank of America, stepped to the plate, literally, with the first million-dollar contribution to this planned expansion for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so, Buster, I'm 125th of the way home. But if those who are interested in supporting the growth of this museum and to ensure that the legacy of the Negro Leagues plays on long after there are no more Negro League players still with us to attest how special this league was, you can make a contribution at www.nlbm.com. When you go to the donation tab, you'll see a drop-down menu, and the campaign is called Pitch for the Future. And I think it's very apt uh, in terms of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to position this museum for long-term sustainable growth, but again, to build a new home. And I call the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum Buck O'Neill's house, the house that Buck O'Neill built. Well, we're looking at building Buck a new house. And, and I know his spirit is going to drive this effort that we're about to embark on. And I have the utmost confidence that we will get this done and hopefully get it done in a timely fashion so that the world can descend on Kansas City and learn more about this incredible piece of history. Well, and knowing your work ethic, I have no doubt you're going to get there, you know, and, and your passion. So, uh, you know, good luck with this as you go forward. It'll it's going to be terrific. And I can't wait. I love to hear your stories about folks in Major League Baseball swinging through the museum, uh, stopping by. You get a chance to meet some of them, talk to some of them. What are some of the recent examples of that that you've had? Well, just this past week, we had our, our, our friends from the um, Washington Nationals. They brought a big group, David Martinez, uh, a bunch of the guys came and Buster was great. It never gets old for me. It, it really does. And this week I'm waiting on uh, the Colorado Rockies will be here on this coming Friday. And, and so every time we get those who make their living in this game, particularly the young athlete, it is always special. And the thing that we talk about the common denominator, the bond that they share with those who played in the Negro Leagues, it's really simple. Love of the game. You play this That's game because you love it. And I know sometimes, Buster, we as fans can get a little fickle because we have a tendency to equate everything to money. These young athletes make a wonderful living playing the game that they love. And so some of us will just discern that they don't love it as much as the guys of yesteryear. Yeah, they do. Because you're still playing a game that you played when you were a kid and you played it for free. And if you had to play it for free again, you would still do it. But as I also share with them, you will never see a greater example of love of the game than you do when you walk through the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. They had to love it, man, to endure the things that they had to endure just to play baseball in this country. And I think all of my athletes relate to that. And, you know, I think it actually gives them a much better perspective and appreciation for what they have because we have a tendency to kind of forget. We are, I think as human beings, we're wired to complain. And so when guys talk about a late night charter flight, you know, somebody started complaining about, I had a late night charter flight. 
a late <laughs> night charter flight. Man, when you walk through there, you like, oh, okay, that charter flight ain't so bad after all. So it does give you a perspective. So a few weeks ago, we had Lindsay Bear on, the, the granddaughter of Yogi Bear, this new documentary. And I mentioned to her the thing that always stood out to me about Yogi, just being around him at Yankee Stadium, was how much of a baseball fan he was. Like, he was really current in his knowledge. He knew all these young players. He's in his 80s, and he's he's asking me, and I'll never forget this, this conversation we had about Victor Martinez, who was a young catcher at the time, and he talked about, you know, good switch hitter, that sort of thing. I was just blown away. My one conversation with Buck O'Neill, that was reflected in that. And today, I told Tim this story about uh, Kevin Pillar of the Atlanta Braves walking up to him the other day. And I said to him, cause he's a huge baseball fan, uh, which is, as you know, isn't always the case with baseball players. And I walked up to him and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about, you know, we got to figure out who are the top 10 baseball uh, fans among baseball players. And he looked at me without hesitation. He goes, you think we can involve trivia? <laughs> you know, he was, he was thinking of his edge, you know, right away. Uh, and that, uh, that was so much fun. All right, Bob. Well, I appreciate your time. I love having you on. And, and uh, you know, we're going to have to sort of have a conversation among ourselves to determine which is the better storyteller, you or Tim Karchin. Well, you know, <laughs> Tim, Tim has been doing this for a long, long time. And he serves as inspiration for people like myself. And, and I think, Buster, as those who aspire to be storytellers, there's no greater compliment that can come our way than when people say, I felt like I was there. You know, when you can paint a picture and people feel like they, they were there, they were there to watch Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige go head to head. You know, that is as special as it gets. And I'm thrilled that we're creating platforms and that there are platforms being created that allows us to tell this, these stories and the fact that people are falling in love with these stories. Absolutely. All right, sir. I look forward to talking with you again, Bob. Hey, man, as always, thank you so much for having me. All clear. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. That was great. You're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys, man. We appreciate it. Uh, we're excited about this project. And so uh, people are certainly starting to donate to it. So we'll see if we can get another boost. We appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and we'll keep trying to goose. All we'll right. keep trying to goose it with you. All right. All right, guys. I look forward to seeing y'all soon. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Corbin Lunt at Corbonzo Beans writes in, is it just me or do the Cubs play much better against good teams versus bad teams? They've taken the first two against the Rays after getting swept by the Reds. I think that's just the nature of how they play. We talked in spring training with a better defensive team, with a better pitching staff. They were going to be more competitive and that they would have a lot of, you know, 2-1, 1-0, 3-2 type games. Uh, and that's kind of what we're seeing. So on a given day with a good pitching staff, they can beat the Tampa Bay Rays. And on the other hand, it feels like they also are very capable of going on an extended losing streak because they don't have a dynamic offense. Does that make sense? Yeah, you you nailed it. And And then just like more of like the way they play, there's nothing more maddening than a team that gets up for the good teams and then just, you know, no shows against the bad teams. I will say, and I don't mean to compare the 2023 uh, 2023 Cubs to the 2010 Giants, but I remember Dwayne Kuyper in talking about that 2010 Giants team because they were constantly, <laughs> that was with Linscombe and Matt Cain, et cetera. Uh, he, he talked about on air, he talked about their style of play as torture. Like, <laughs> it would go to the late innings and it'd be close and Bruce Bochy would make a bullpen move and they would pull it out. Oh, torture. Great way to put it. Anson at Mr. Anson writes in. Here's a question. When does Shohei win a home run or batting title in his career? Or do you think he does it at all? No, I don't. I don't. I think he's going to miss enough games where he's not going to win a home run title. And I, he's just not the type of hitter to me who's going to win a batting title. You know, he's a really good hitter. Obviously, he's a terrific slugger. But now his batting average is what, in the 260s? He's just not that type. You know, Luis Arise is a guy who wins a batting title. You know, that style. Freddie Freeman is a guy who wins a batting title, but not Shohei Otani. Last one for today, Mike Shaw at Mike Shaw 56 writes in, Ryan McMahon homered in four straight games, hopefully five after tonight. What is your guys' outlook on Colorado going forward? Sutter and Lawrence have been solid in the pen. 
it's really hard for the Rockies to maintain consistent pitching staff year after year after year, partly because the elevation, the size, the ballpark. It is the constant challenge, which is why I've always believed that the Rockies should play to what their ballpark is, you know? They just put up a bunch of hairy-chested guys who hit a bunch of home runs and just play arena ball in a way. <laughs> and, I, and I steal that phrase from Davey Johnson. I ever get, you know, the former longtime manager. He'd always talk about getting a bunch of hairy-chested guys who wanted to hit the ball a long way. There you have it. GM Buster at your service. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We will be back on Friday. Before you guys go, I need to get your verdict. Who's a better storyteller, Bob Kendrick, Tim, or TK? You're really putting us in a tough spot here. TK, close personal friend. Bob Kendrick, uh, you know, just a luminary master storyteller. I know, legend. I think I got to go, Bob, but it's it's very hard. They're they're both on, you know, they're both elite storytellers. So, Sarah, you're wearing a Phillies cap today. Who's the best storyteller? (laughs) I think you know what since. Taylor said, BK, I'm going to go TK. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Nicely done. All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Brandon and I, to Bob Kendrick, to TK, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.